Well, good morning, everyone. Someday, as I'm pushing this thing up, the front wheel's going to get caught. I'm just going to push it over, and then everyone's going to laugh, and it'll... Everyone will remember that Sunday, not for the message, but because... (laughs) Can you believe what Alex did? (laughs) All right. Uh, We have a lot of passages we're going to cover this morning. Uh, We're continuing our series on our statement of faith. And if you don't have one of those, those are printed off and they're on that back little table. The statement of faith for the Atlantic Gospel Chapel. We're going through what we believe and why we believe it. Uh, As we had already mentioned, a statement of faith is not an inspired document or anything like that, and it's not an exhaustive thing, but it is something that we can point to when uh, people ask, okay, what is it that you believe? Uh, And then, as I already said, rather than uh, starting in Genesis and then reading all the way through to Revelation to them, we can just uh, shorten it by giving them a a statement of faith. But we're looking at, I, I believe it's the second or third up from the bottom, that statement on the Lord's Supper and baptism. We covered the Lord's Supper last week, and we're going to cover baptism this week. And the statement reads, For we believe the Lord's Supper and bab- uh, for the believer, the Lord's Supper and water baptism by immersion or ordinances to be observed by the church during this present age. They are, however, not to be regarded as a means of salvation in a number of passages. And the key passage highlighted for baptism is Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, the command of Jesus, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So that's our topic this morning. We're going to look at what that word itself means, the word baptize, We're going to look at the practice of baptism before the church age, uh, in particular, the baptism of John. We're going to look at that command that Jesus gave, the command that all disciples are to be baptized. We're going to look at the symbol of baptism, the fact that it is a picture of being in Christ. We're going to answer the question, who is to be baptized? We're going to answer, why do we practice baptism by immersion? Why do we have a massive dunk tank back here when we could just have a pitcher of water that we could pour on someone's head? Uh, So why baptism by immersion? And then we're going to hit on that last point in that statement of faith that that this is not to be regarded as a means of salvation. Uh, And the fact that the act itself is not salvific, but it points to a salvation that is already experience. So that's what we're covering this morning. We've got a lot of Bible passages before me, so this will be a good morning to practice your, your sword drills, uh, if, you, if you know what those things are. Uh, the, the Bible's your sword, and a sword drill is when someone shouts out a verse, and the first person to it wins. So, um, But anyway, we can pray, and we'll get on with it. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for the time that we have this morning to read your word, to look at this ordinance of baptism, its significance, what it points to, the importance of it, uh, and, uh, and just everything that, that goes along with it. We pray that you would bless our morning, bless the reading of your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first uh, question we're going to answer is, what does the word baptize mean? And to get a good understanding of what a word means, uh, 
you can, well, in our Bible study class on Thursday, we learned how to do a good word study, how to find out what the original word behind it means, and that can usually give you a good idea. But uh, the tricky part with baptism is the underlying word for baptize is baptize. It's not translated from any word. It's actually a transliteration where they just take the Greek word, Englishify it a little bit, and then put it right into our Bibles. Uh, So we need to do a little bit of uh, a study on what that word means. Uh, What does baptize mean? the base, the word itself appears in more than just more. Uh, it's used for more than just describing the act of baptism as we would understand it. It actually has a, a general use to it, just like many other words in the Bible. The word anointed it has a general use, but there's a more specific use when it's talking about the Messiah, the anointed one. The word assembly, there's a general way to use the word assembly, but then we often will, when we're describing the assembly, we're talking about the church. Uh, the word apostle, there's a, a general use for that word, but then there's the more specific apostles sent by Jesus. And similarly, baptism uh, or baptize has a general meaning that can be used in many ways beyond just simply describing the act of Christian baptism. A couple places that we find the word baptizo, that's the literal word, uh, baptize. Uh, one place is uh, Mark chapter 7, verses 3 through 4. And you don't have to turn to these ones. I'll I'll just read these to give you an idea. But Mark chapter 7, verses 3 through 4, we read that the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they come out of the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And the word translated as cleanse is literally that word baptize. Uh, 2 Kings chapter uh, 5, verse 14 Uh, we read that he went down and dipped himself seven times into the Jordan. So we remember the king with leprosy, he goes and asks uh, Elijah, hey, what do I need to do? Go dip yourself seven times into the Jordan. He does that. And in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, there's that word again. He literally says he went and baptized himself seven times in the Jordan. Another place we read in Luke chapter 11, verse 38 when the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that he did not he did not first or he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. And uh, that word baptized is uh, once again translated as ceremonially washed. So we see it's used in a number of different ways describing things more than just Christian baptism. Uh, the word that it's rooted from, bapto is used in a couple different places as well. In the Lord's Supper, when Jesus dipped, uh, dipped the food into the bowl, he, he literally baptized it. He baptized the food in the bowl. That, that just shows you an idea of the word. Uh, and, and part of the confusion is just the fact that uh, the word baptized is not translated, but rather transliterated. The word itself uh, has the general meaning of to dip, to immerse, to wash. Those are uh, some ways that it is used. Uh, To baptize, uh, dip can be a good word uh, to to think of, or to immerse. And baptism is used uh, of more than just water baptism as well. Uh, There is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that's described in the Bible. John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. So baptism is describing more than just the 
dunking in water, uh, but a baptism of the Holy Spirit that is to be distinguished from water baptism. Uh, Similarly, Jesus, when he had gathered his disciples uh, at the beginning of the book of Acts, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but wait for what the Father had promised, which he had said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So they're about to be engulfed in the Holy Spirit, submerged in the Holy Spirit, immersed in the Holy Spirit. Uh, baptism is used to describe fire, the fire of judgment. Uh, in, Ma- in Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 through 12, John says, As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandal. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, we already talked about that. And with fire. Now, what does he mean to be baptized with fire? Uh, He goes on and he says, the winnowing fork is in his hand. Any farmers ever use a winnowing fork? We know what those are for. Uh, And he will thoroughly cleanse out the threshing floor and he will gather his wheat into the barn and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So the, the baptism of fire is describing judgment where you're about to be surrounded, submerged in the fire. You don't want to be baptized by fire uh, unless you're a a Pentecostal and and you're talking about the baptism by fire. Uh, You don't want that. Uh, Baptism is also used to describe the death that Jesus was about to experience. In Luke chapter 12, verse 50, Jesus says, I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. So he is about to be submerged into something. And what is that? Uh, In Mark, he asked the disciples, Do you not know uh, when they ask uh, if one can sit on his right hand, one can sit on his left? Jesus says, You do not know what you were asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am to be baptized? Uh, And then later on, he in uh, Matthew, a parallel account, Uh, Jesus says, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And what's he describing? He's describing his death. So he describes even his his death as a baptism, which he is about to undergo. Uh, So this just gives you a general idea of how that word baptize is used. Uh, The practice of baptism, baptism by submersion, is not unique to Christianity. This was practiced before by the Jews, actually. It was a Jewish practice that was administered to Gentile converts to Judaism. And it was seen as a a form of ceremonial washing, where you as a Gentile, because you are a Gentile, are unclean, and before you can enter into the assembly of God, you must be cleansed ceremonially. And this baptism is a picture of that ceremonial cleansing. And uh, that's why when John the Baptist came along, they knew exactly what was going on. John came preaching a baptism of repentance. And this is the first place that we encounter baptism in our New Testament. And we can turn and read the passage, uh, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And we read, Now in those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, 
The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make, stri- make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sin. So what does John come? What is his message? Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he is baptizing them in a baptism of repentance. All people everywhere are called to repent of their sins and be baptized by John. As John was a prophet sent by God to prepare the way for Christ. So the Messiah is coming. God is coming. Therefore, repent. And that act of baptism, if we keep in mind the the fact that baptism was something that Gentile converts to Judaism would undergo, that act of baptism really is an act of saying, no, I have been in the wrong. I have been wrong with God. Though I am a Jew, I am not clean. uh, And I need to be baptized. I need to repent of my sin. Uh, And uh, John says something interesting to the Pharisees who come along. Uh, in uh, later on in this verse, uh, he says, uh, Pharise- uh, as the Pharisees and Sadducees are coming, he says, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say, we have Abraham for our father. And this was something that the Jews would also would hang on to, the fact that, oh, I'm a child of Abraham. I am born into the covenant of God. I bear the signs of the covenant of God. And what John is saying is, no, if you are a sinner, then you are at odds with God. You do not belong to God. Therefore, repent and be baptized because one is coming who will baptize in fire. So the command was for all people everywhere to repent and be baptized. And Jesus himself is even baptized by John. And in doing so, Jesus does uh, two different things. One thing that he does is, just as all people everywhere were called to repent and be baptized, Jesus, being a man, fully God, yes, but also fully man, is subject to the law of God. Now, Jesus has no sins to repent of, and yet he is still under obligation to go and be baptized by John. Jesus arrives. Uh, We read in, uh, if we're still in Matthew chapter 3, we can read verse 13 that Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? So we can see the confusion. We, we don't really get why does Jesus need to be baptized. John feels the same way. But what does Jesus say? Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So he acts in obedience to God. What is the one marker? Uh, uh, what is one thing that sets Jesus apart from everyone else? his perfect obedience to God. And he is even obedient in listening to the prophet that God had sent to come and be baptized. So he does this. Uh, uh, That's the one thing that he does. He acts in obedience to the command that all need to be baptized, and he obeys this command. And the second thing that Jesus does by being baptized by John is he confirms that John's call to repent and be baptized is indeed from God and that all people everywhere are bound to that command. 
Uh, Jesus, we remember in the last week of his life, uh, when he is being questioned, Jesus then brought a question to the Pharisees, and Jesus said to them, I will ask you a question, and you tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Well, we know the answer is from heaven. God is the one who told John to go and baptize, and Jesus is confirming that, but he uh, asked this question of the Pharisees, the ones who rejected the baptism of John, to, to try to trap them in a way. But we see that uh, uh, Jesus is baptized by John, and the baptism of John, though important, though there are similarities that it has with Christian baptism, must also be distinguished from Christian baptism. There's a lot of similarities, such as the mode of baptism, right? John does the same thing that we as Christians do today, finds a good large body of water that you can actually fit underneath. Uh, he uh, calls for repentance, uh, but John's baptism was in anticipation to the coming of the Messiah, while Christian baptism is in response to hearing and believing in the gospel. That's one difference between the two. And we see, uh, we see this difference in Acts chapter 19. And we're not there yet in our Acts series, but we read in Acts chapter 19, they come across a number of people who are John's disciples, and they say to them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And then Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people who believe in him, who were coming to him, after him, that is Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So John's baptism is in anticipation to what is coming. Christian baptism is in light of what has already come. Uh, so that's another distinction. So baptism uh, is, is adopted as a Christian practice by the command of the Lord Jesus. So we see a history of baptism. We see the similarities between Christian, between Christian baptism and the, the baptism that was done by John. Uh, and Jesus even commands that disciples are to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's the verse that we had read. That's why we as Christians today receive baptism, because that's the command that Jesus gives all of us. Uh, Jesus commands that his disciples be baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Something to understand about this, being baptized into the name of the triune God, when someone is baptized into someone's name, it's an act of identification and commitment to the one whose name you are baptized into. Uh, baptism, uh, as we understand, is not just a last step after conversion before church membership, but baptism uh, when we are baptized, what we are really saying is that I have been crucified with Christ. I identify myself as one of God's. I am committed to following God. So baptism is, like I said, not just a last step. It's not just something for super Christians to do after they have walked with God long enough. Baptism is actually the first step that we should take. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But baptism uh, just as John's baptism was, Christian baptism is uh, tied very closely with the command to repent and believe. When we look at uh, the sermon of Peter at Pentecost, at the very end of this, at the very end of this sermon, the people are asking Peter, "What is it then? What, what shall we do?" And Peter said to them, "Repent." And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So baptism 
faith in Christ, repentance, all tied together, right? Baptism, as we'll see later, it's done in response to repentance and faith. But again, we see they're very closely associated with one another. Repentance is an inward change of mind, where one changes their mind regarding sin, regarding Christ, and as a result of that repentance, as a result of that change of mind, there's an inevitable change of action, right? It's not an outward action. It all starts within. Repentance is an inward act, and, uh, but that inward act will result in outward action. When John is calling on people to repent, uh, what does John say to them? He says, therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Do not say for yourself, we have Abraham as our father. Uh, for I say to you that in these stones, God is able to raise up children of Abraham. And the crowds are coming to him and they're asking him, what is it that, sh- uh, what is it that we shall do? And he would answer him, he would answer and say, the man who has two tunics is to share one with uh, the one who has none. The one who has food is to do likewise. Some tax collectors came to him to be baptized, and they said, Teacher, what shall we do? He said, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. Soldiers likewise were questioning him, saying, And what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. Just small examples of bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. A change of mind brings a change of action. And baptism is really the first act that a Christian should take as a result of that change of mind. Okay, I now have decided to follow Jesus. And what is the first command that Jesus gives me as his follower? Be baptized. Uh, Again, it's not the baptism that saves me, but that baptism is in result of what Christ has done and a result of the commands that Christ has given us. Baptism is an act of obedience to Christ and an outward working out of repentance. Baptism is closely associated with that command to repent and believe in the gospel. Uh, It's not a saving work. We need to keep that in mind, and we'll dig more into that later. But if you have truly believed, that is what we are called to do. Uh, Just as works don't save us, but are indicative of us having true faith in Christ, Water baptism, likewise, does not save us, but it is the natural response that we should have uh, once we have trusted in the Lord Jesus. And we see that that natural response is carried out immediately in the New Testament. Uh, Oftentimes, like I said, we think that baptism is something, oh, we should wait on it, we should, uh, I'll walk with the Lord for a little bit, I'll have a consistent record of going to church, Uh, maybe I'll get off the the smoking, the drinking, whatever else is my problem, and then, then once I have something to show for myself, then I'll get baptized. But that's not what we see in the New Testament. In the New Testament, we read that uh, baptism is carried out pretty much immediately. In Acts chapter 2, we remember Peter gave the command to repent and be baptized. And then what happens? Acts chapter 2 verse 41. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. So these Jewish people, did they have a, a whole understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity at that point in time? Did they really understand all of the implications of justification by faith? Did they have a great, robust Christian theology that they could bring to the table? No. But one thing they did know 
is that they trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and Jesus commanded them to be baptized. So they did. And that day they were baptized. Similarly, the, the eunuch in Acts chapter 8, we remember the Ethiopian eunuch, Philip comes and he shares the gospel with him and he does it out of Isaiah 53. He's going along, he asks, what does this mean? And Philip shares the gospel pointing to Jesus and they come across water and what's the eunuch's response? Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And immediately they stop the chariot, they get out, they go down into the water and Philip baptizes him. In Acts chapter 16, with the, with the, the Philippian jailer, uh, he says, what must I do to be saved? They say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and all your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with those who were in the house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. Now, a Philippian jailer is going to have all kinds of baggage, right? Uh, belief in all kinds of various false gods that he has to repent of. He's, his worldview is going to need a major adjustment. But we see at the very initial uh, expression of faith, he is baptized immediately. He and those who believe. So why is baptism important? Why is it that this is something that Christ commands us to undergo? Well, one... Baptism is a picture of us being in Christ. Baptism is a picture of us being in Christ, particularly us dying, being buried, and rising again with Christ in the newness of life. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verses 3, to, three through 7. The Apostle Paul says, in Romans chapter 6, starting at verse 3, Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died has been justified from sin. So the whole nature of the substitutionary work of Jesus, when we are baptized, we are identifying with that work. When Jesus came, we we're saying that he died for me. That was me who was on that cross. That was me who was buried. That was me who rose again from the dead. And when we're baptized, we start above the water, but then we are buried. We are submerged into the water just as Jesus was buried into the earth. But then we rise again from that water, just as Jesus rose again from the earth. We are saying that which is true of Jesus is true of me as well. Another thing that baptism is a picture of, it represents the cleansing that we receive in Christ. It represents the cleansing that we receive in Christ. A passage we can turn to look at this is in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. In 1 Peter chapter 3, we can start reading in verse 18. 
For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring you to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive again in the spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who were once disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water." And then this is the key verse. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. And this is where the the baptismal regenerationists will say, ah, yes, see, you got to get dunked if you want to be saved. But once you keep reading, you see, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal of a good conscience to God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. So it's a picture of the cleansing that we receive through what Jesus has done. A third thing, baptism is a picture of the unity that we all have in Christ. Uh, A couple verses, we don't have to turn there, I'll just read them quick. One is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, where Paul says, There is one body... And one spirit, just as you were all called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. We all receive the same baptism that points to that same death of Christ, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We all identify with that. We are all one together because we all represent those whom Christ has died for, those who have received that gift of eternal life. We all receive the same symbol, but it all points to that one death and resurrection of Jesus on our behalf. Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 through 28, Paul says, for all of you were baptized, all who were baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourself with Christ. This also goes along with uh, that picture of cleansing, right? Being clothed in Christ. Um, he, God no longer sees my sin, but rather he sees the righteousness of Christ. And then he goes on and says, because of this one baptism, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Similarly, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. Even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, and we were made to drink of the one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. We are all part of one. We all receive that one baptism, specifically, most importantly, that baptism of the Holy Spirit pictured in that water baptism. We all belong to that same one body of Christ. So uh, moving on, we get to the question, who is to be baptized? Who is to be baptized? And, and after reading this, we would think it be, should be pretty clear, should be pretty straightforward, those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. But, uh, and I think that's the, the obvious answer, those who have repented and believed in the gospel. What does Jesus say? Make disciples, baptizing them, those disciples. 
Peter calls, uh, and because baptism is a picture of, of being in Christ, it's only those who are in Christ through repentance and faith who are to be baptized. That's our understanding. That's my understanding. That's many Christians' understanding. But this hasn't been a universal understanding uh, throughout the church. And in fact, throughout the vast majority of church history, uh, <laughs> all kinds of bad things could have happened to you if you believed that. Uh, and that's just the, the reality of church history. Uh, baptism is only for those who have professed faith and not for their children. Right? That's something that we need to understand. And that's something that uh, much of church history would stand opposed to, but something that we, derive, uh, that we recognize is, is plain in Scripture. And one of the reasons that, that uh, many of our, and I do call them, they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. One of the reasons that many of our brothers and sisters in Christ think it's appropriate for children to be baptized is because uh, uh, some of the parallels that are seen between baptism and circumcision, right? Both are signs of a covenant, right? Circumcision was a sign of being in God's covenant people. Similarly, baptism is a sign that you are in God's covenant. It's an outward sign pointing to an inner truth. But in the Mosaic covenant, who was to be circumcised? Well, the males at eight days of age. Children, before they had uh, expressed any faith in the Lord Jesus. And then many people will take that and say, and therefore, the children of believers likewise are to be baptized. But that doesn't follow, because we are not placed into that new covenant uh, of, of Jesus Christ by virtue of who we are born to, but rather through faith in Christ. We must be born again. James and Evelyn have been born to Christian parents, yes. But that does not mean that they, at this point in time, belong to that new covenant. Because it is only through faith that one can be identified as a child of God. Uh, people will also point to uh, a place in Acts that we looked at where uh, the Philippian jailer's household was baptized, right? What does he say? Uh, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And what do we see later on? That uh, they washed their wounds and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. So people can point to that and say, ah, see, uh, if the head of the family believes, therefore that family now belongs to that covenant. But uh, we see, if we look a little bit closer at this verse, we read that they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. So we see the gospel is not only preached to the jailer, but to his household as well. And it would follow that just as the jailer was baptized in response to faith, that his household likewise believed. In uh, Acts chapter 10, we see the household of Cornelius uh, being preached to. They received the gospel. And we see that the Holy Spirit fell on those in the household of Cornelius as they were listening to the message. And then those who received the Holy Spirit were baptized, right? So that doesn't uh, follow either. It is those who have heard the gospel and believed who are to be baptized. Another place that uh, advocates for infant baptism will look to is in 
Acts chapter, uh, uh, the, the passage we're looking at where Peter is calling them to repent, Acts chapter 2, where Peter says, Repent each of you and be baptized in the name of, the Lord, of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on and says, For the promise is for you and your children. And they'll say, ah, so therefore it is the children also of believers who are to be baptized. But the problem is many of our uh, friends who baptize children, pedo-baptists is what uh, they're called, they usually stop reading right there and they don't read the rest of the sentence. <laughs> for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call to himself. So who is this group? Well, it's summarized by as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. So this passage, too, does not indicate that children of believers are to be baptized apart from repentance and faith, uh, no more than it indicates that those who are far off to be baptized uh, are to be baptized apart from repentance and faith, right? Uh, they didn't just go to the, the synagogues that were far off and say, all right, everyone, line up at the baptismal. You're all getting baptized because the people in Jerusalem believed. Uh, that's, that's not how it worked out. Uh, so uh, that answers that question. Who is to be baptized? Uh, long answer short, those who have repented and believed in the gospel, those who are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying that one can't be a disciple at a very early age. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you need to have a perfect knowledge uh, or pass the right uh, baptismal classes or anything like that to be baptized. That's not what I'm saying. But Scripture uh, makes it pretty clear that it's those who believe who are to receive that sign, that picture. Then finally, uh, why uh, baptism? Why by immersion, right? Because we, we make that pretty clear in our statement of faith. Uh, the Lord's Supper and water baptism by immersion is an ordinance to be observed by the church. So why is it by immersion? Well, uh, one, we already looked at this because it is a picture of burial with Christ. It is a picture of burial with Christ. Uh, in Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, we read, For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. And he is the head and rule over, head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you are raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. That, again, that submersion is a picture of that burial that Christ received. The picture doesn't work out too well if it is simply something being poured on your head or it is simply a sprinkling because it is a picture of being buried with Christ and then rising again with Christ. It is by immersion. So that's one reason it's by immersion. Uh, the second reason, the word itself literally means uh, to dip or to immerse. Uh, nowhere in the New Testament, at least that I've found, uh, does that word baptize indicate a sprinkling. Rather, it is always some kind of dipping, some kind of immersing. Uh, you dip the bread into the bowl, right? You don't sprinkle the contents of the bowl onto the bread. That's not what that means. Um, uh, a third reason uh, that we practice baptism by immersion is because when we see it in detail in the New Testament, it is always by immersion. 
In Matthew chapter 6, verse, uh, 3, verses 16 and 17, we read in the baptism of Jesus that after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened up, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens spoke, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So when Jesus was baptized, he goes into the water and comes out of the water. Similarly, uh, we see in John chapter 3, verse 23, that uh, John was baptism, baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was much water there. Now, if baptism was by simply pouring, why does it matter how much water is in a place? Well, you want to be somewhere with much water because you want to be able to fit into that water. And then similarly, we looked at that passage in Acts chapter 8, verses 38 through 39, where the chariot is ordered to stop and the Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch go down into the water and he is baptized. And when they came up out of the water, once again, it's, uh, it is when they come out of the water that the Lord, is, that, uh, the Lord snatches Philip away. So baptism, we see in the New Testament, is by submersion. And then another uh, reason, and this can just kind of go right along with it as more evidence, is one of the earliest Christian sources that we have prescribes baptism by immersion. Now, early on, very early on in the church, we see that there are exceptions made when there is not enough water for full submersion. But the ideal baptism was by submersion. Uh, one of the earliest writings, it's called the Didache. It says, In concerning baptism, baptize in this way, having reviewed all these things, baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit in running water, right? In, in living water is the, the literal way of putting it. But if you don't have access to running water, then baptize in other water. So baptize in still water. So the idea is always in a body of water that you can fit yourself in. And if you're not able to baptize in cold water, then baptize in warm water. I think they should have flipped that one around. <laughs> uh, if you're not able to find warm water, then I guess cold water will do. But they, they were maybe a little tougher than we were back then. Uh, but if you possess neither, so it's only when there is none of this available, pour water on the head three times. So uh, again, this isn't inspired or anything, but it does show that early practice that yeah, we know how baptism is supposed to work, and it's only when we are not able to do that at all, but we still got to baptize someone that we do the pouring of the water on the head. So uh, finally, uh, in just the last few minutes we have, I, I want to uh, talk on that last part. We need to be aware that baptism and the Lord's Supper, neither are to be regarded as salvific. These things do not save us. Baptism is not the means of receiving the Holy Spirit. And Scripture is quite clear on this matter. Uh, the Apostle Paul, when he went to Corinth, one of the things that he said in his letter to the Corinthians is, I'm glad that there's only a couple people that I baptized, and, and the rest uh, I did not baptize. It's not that Paul didn't see baptism as important, but people were tying that baptism of Paul, that baptism that Paul uh, performed to being of Paul, right? Being one of Paul's disciples. And if baptism really did save, then why would Paul say, I'm glad I didn't baptize because God sent me to preach, not to baptize, uh, if baptism was salvific? It would not work out. 
another place, we see the thief on the cross. There's no indication that that thief on the cross was baptized. Uh, sure, the baptism of John, he could have received it hypothetically, but we already looked at the baptism of John. That's not the same as Christian baptism. And yet, Jesus says to him, today I will be, you will be with me in paradise. We see that Simon the magician, we talked a little bit about him in Acts chapter 8, that he receives water baptism, but later on he goes and demonstrates that he did not come to a true saving knowledge of the Lord. Remember, Peter basically said to him, you and your money are going to hell, is basically what he had said to him. Uh, So that baptism, the physical act itself, did not give him the Holy Spirit. It did not save him. Uh, the baptism that saves is the baptism into the Holy Spirit. Uh, The baptism that saves is that indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Just one verse, uh, Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, He saved us, not on the basis of the deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of, not baptism, but regeneration, and the renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Uh, Similarly, uh, in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says that, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of salvation, and having believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit is not given in response to us, being baptized, but baptism is, again, looking back to that Holy Spirit indwelling us as a result of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are saved by faith alone, apart from works, which includes baptism. It doesn't mean that we aren't commanded to do it. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it. I, I hope I've laid out why it is an important thing here, but we can't confuse this with being saved. I wasn't saved because I was baptized. I was baptized because I was saved. Uh, So, in conclusion, if we have believed, we are commanded to be baptized. That includes everyone here. I don't know whether or not, uh, I would assume that believers here have been baptized, but if you have not been baptized, this is a command of the Lord that he has given all of us. This is not something, again, to put off. Uh, It's an act of obedience to the Lord uh, that he has commanded us to do. It's a picture of that life, uh, of that death, burial, and resurrection in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, we remember that baptism is not salvific, but it's an outward picture of that salvation that we have already received. And what a beautiful picture that that baptism is. Uh, We're out of time, so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we are thankful for this time that we've had to consider this ordinance, this baptism, this great picture of being in you, of us being united in Christ, of that cleansing work of the Holy Spirit on our lives, that baptism that points to the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that if there's anyone here who has not yet uh, received the Lord Jesus Christ, not through the physical act of water, but through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would recognize their need, that they would look to him and trust in him. And I pray that if there is anyone who has not yet taken that act of faith, that act of obedience, of receiving that water baptism, that they, t- that they would uh, bring that to the attention of one of the leaders uh, so that that can be carried out. Our Father, we're thankful for this time that we have. I pray that you bless the rest of our day and our week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.